being the, the shrewd person you know me to be, I'm walking around and I'm watching these guys. I love to watch construction in process, by the way. I, I do that. I go and I watch. I notice that the first thing that they do is they dig what? The basement. The foundation. And, well, there's no basements out here in or California. No, yeah, I was about okay. to say, you're in earthquake territory. <laughs> I know we'll get into that later, but yeah, this is... They dig foundations. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Journey. I'm Matt Swaim along with my colleague Ken Hensley. And if you don't know much about what we do here at the Coming Home Network, come check us out at chnetwork.org. We're an apostolate that works with people at every stage of their journey and every level of interest in the Catholic faith. Uh, I'm from a Wesleyan Methodist holiness movement background. Ken's a former Baptist pastor, so he's got more credibility than me on some of these issues. I went to Asbury. He went to Fuller. We're going to reconcile our ideas and make it all make sense at the end of the day. Ken, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to do another one of these episodes. This is a big, big, big topic. Yeah, I'm glad to be here with you. In fact, a little bit of small talk's okay, because this is going to be a little bit more heavy and deep in some ways. So, but let me ask you up front. So you think Baptists have more credibility than Methodists? I did not say that. I just said that you have a better piece of paper. because oh, you, oh, you, you finished yeah. seminary. You finished seminary, and I did not. Uh, so. Okay, I'm... Okay, I, I thought you were comparing denominations. But. No, 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 no. You, no. you know how I feel about Wesley compared to Calvin. Ken. That's, this is going to be another episode <laughs> down the road. Um, okay. But you mentioned, you know— the, What are we these, talking about today? We're what talking, talking about, about foundational stuff. And by foundational, I mean like literally foundations of how we understand one another. This is one of those things that divides Protestants and Catholics so mm-hmm. very often, because when we start talking to one another, we start talking past one another— because we're appealing mm-hmm. to different you know, levels of authority. Sometimes even when we use the same words, yeah. we mean different things by them because of the way yeah. that we come at them, because of what we have set up as our foundations. So I think that this is one of those topics that a lot of people kind of gloss over, but I think it really is behind what so many divisions and disagreements are, are based on, this idea of what is it we're really appealing to as Protestants or as Catholics when we start talking about the truths of the faith? Yes, and you know, if I can, what I want to do today, Matt, is I want to talk through this issue in terms of my own story. I mean, in terms of what actually happened to me. Um, graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary, ordained Baptist minister for 11 years. What happened to me when I began to look at these issues, when, I, when my journey began? Um, so if I can, I want, I, I want to begin, though, with a kind of a brash and uh, a provocative quotation from one of the great uh, church historians of the 19th century, a man named Adolf Harnack. And if you have ever been to any kind of upper-level theology class, there's, he's unavoidable. Some people love him, yes. some people despise him, but you can't go through the history of Western thought, especially in relation to the scriptures, without running across Harnack at some point. Well, he was a university professor at the University of Tübingen, very famous university in Germany, in the 19th century. He was a professor for decades, and during that time, he bewailed and he bemoaned the ignorance that his mainly Lutheran students displayed toward the Catholic Church. And I want to read a quotation from him to launch off today. 
This is what Harnack said. I am convinced from constant experience of the fact that the students who leave our schools have the most disconnected and absurd ideas about ecclesiastical history. Some of them know something about Gnosticism or about other curious and for them worthless details, but of the Catholic Church, the greatest religious and political creation known to history, think about that, a liberal Protestant scholar, and he says, but of the Catholic Church, the greatest religious and political creation known to history, they know absolutely nothing, and they indulge in its regard in wholly trivial, vague, and often directly nonsensical notions. Again, guilty as charged over here on that one. Yeah, and the same for me. As an evangelical pastor for many, many years, I'd have to say that I did not have a clear conception of what Catholicism was. The inner logic of Catholicism, I was blind to it. I didn't know it. And it, it just remind. I mean, I wasn't extremely anti-Catholic like, like many, many others, uh, many others are, but it does remind me of that quotation from uh, Bishop Sheen, where he says something like, there aren't a hundred people who hate the Catholic Church, but there are millions who hate what they perceive, you know, the conception that they have of what the Catholic Church is. And I would say that that's true of me, although the word hate doesn't apply. I, I didn't hate, but I clearly didn't know. I didn't understand. And my experience is that the vast majority of evangelicals, I think Harnack is right, what they have in their minds is not really what Catholicism is, but it's some kind of a muddle of indistinct um, caricatures and um, Monty Python vignettes of monks hitting themselves in the head with yeah. boards, you know. Yeah, or monks with with white skin and pink eyes, you know, walking around with knives and what whatnot uh, from that movie. Um, again, the inner logic of Catholicism as a system of thought is something that is unknown to most. And I want to quickly say, though, so it doesn't sound like I'm bashing on Protestants. Um, that the same is true um, in the reverse. I would say that the vast majority of Catholics do not understand what Protestantism is either. So we have ignorance abounding on all sides of the equation here. Yeah, and, and Ken, this is, you know, a lot of people see the Coming Home Network as this apostolate of welcome that sort of helps people who are interested in the Catholic Church figure things mm -hmm. out. But we also have a very unique role that takes up quite a bit of our time, which is helping Catholics understand what in the world their Protestant friends are talking about, because so often— yeah. You know, the, the assumption is, well, Protestants think this, you know, and well, maybe, you know, depending on the Protestant. Uh, so, so yeah, this is, this is one of those things where Protestants uh, very often are ignorant of what the Catholic Church teaches and how, how it is, as you say, a coherent system, and a lot of people in yeah. the Catholic Church are completely ignorant on the Protestant side as well. Well, and because I was ignorant, I have to say that my conversion required of me a rethinking of my whole Christian worldview— and that rethinking had to occur from the bottom up, the foundation up. And that's really where I want to go today, is to talk about this issue of foundations. Yeah, that's right? so important because, again, when we talk to our Protestant brothers and sisters, so often we'll be like, well, this verse says this, and they're like, well, no, this verse says that. Mm -hmm, when, in mm -hmm. fact, we are both appealing to different kinds of understandings of how mm -hmm. we even look at the Bible, period. So, yeah, this is, this is huge. Well, then here's how the story goes. One, one thing I noticed, okay, a good friend of mine from the past became Catholic, and that's what stunned me, that's what startled me, and that's what created in me this, what I believe now to be this, this uh, Holy Spirit-inspired curiosity, and I began to learn. Well, I began to listen voraciously to debates between Catholics and Protestants, and I noticed a couple of things. First of all, right away, I began to notice how exhausting the debate seemed to be. Because Catholics and Protestants, they simply see so many issues in different ways that it was kind of exhausting. 
And, you know, and I would add, after I became Catholic, I found the same exhaustion when I tried to talk to my Protestant friends about it, because there are just so many issues. I, I would begin to describe uh, what we believe about Mary, let's say, and before I even got one coherent sentence out of my mouth, it would be, oh, but what about purgatory? And so you go, you shift gears. Oh, okay, I'll talk about purgatory. You get three or four words in, you know, in in consecutive order out of your mouth, and it's yeah, but what about the Pope? Or what about this? What about that? The goalposts keep moving, yeah. Yeah, so th there, there's this exhaustion kind of element to the whole thing. But, but something more important is that I began to sense that it wasn't just exhausting, that the debate was confusing. I mean, it was downright confusing, because although what, what we had here on both sides of the debate were committed Christians, people who were committed to Christ on both sides, people who said that they believed in the inspiration and authority of the Word of God, and yet not only did they disagree on a number of doctrinal and moral um, practical issues, they seem to disagree on how one should go about deciding those issues. Yeah, Ken, this is such an important point, and uh, you and I have talked about this off the air before, that say, for instance, we talk about some of the, the issues that evangelicals and Catholics sometimes align on in the, in the culture war trenches or whatever it happens to be, but very often, when you start talking long enough, you realize that the Catholic case for some of these issues rests on things like natural law and Catholic social teaching and this body of things that mm -hmm. takes into account Greek philosophy and everything else, whereas Protestants would be like, God said it, you know, the Bible's, it's in the Bible, that settles it for me, <laughs> you know? And, and so even yeah. though we might come to di similar conclusions, foundationally we've come from different places, and that can be a major breakdown in communication if you start talking about the issues that divide us. Yeah, yeah. here are the pictures, I mean, some of the pictures that came to my mind. I imagine two people standing on a beach, okay? They're looking out at this gorgeous sunset, and they're carrying on the, this ferocious debate over the exact color of the sunset, and yet, lo and behold, one of them is wearing rose-colored sunglasses, and the other one's wearing amber sunglasses. Or um, to, to switch it out, another illustration that comes to mind, or another analogy, imagine two carpenters very, very carefully um, measuring the same board and coming out with different numbers. And then lo and behold, they're using two different systems of measurement. It's called the metric system, Ken, and there's there's no oh. good reason why we're not on it. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, I remember talking them talking about that even when I was in elementary school. Yeah. But so again, you, but what you're talking about forever. is that this this idea that you know we are, the the standard by which we are judging things is is different. And and again, there's there's this illusion yeah. that well, if we all just come to the same Christ, we're all going to come away with the same things. Or if we're all using the same scriptures, even though yeah. our, you know, there's books missing in one and yeah. you know, there's more books in the other, there's, again, the, we're talking about foundational principles, not what do you yeah. believe about John, what John 6 says, because that's, that's, you got to yeah. go a level deeper than that. Yeah, we're going down to the level, and this is what I was beginning to understand, is that the disagreement between Catholics and Protestants is a disagreement that goes down to the level of presuppositions or what you suppose ahead of time, that is, the foundational level. And let me go to another illustration. At the time, um, they were building a ton of new homes around my neighborhood. And, you know, being the, the shrewd person you know me to be, I'm walking around and I'm watching these guys. I love to watch construction in process, by the way. I, I do that. I go and I watch. I notice that the first thing that they do is they dig what? They dig the basement. The foundation. And, well, there's no basements out here in California. No, yeah, I was about okay. to say, you're in earthquake territory. <laughs> I know we'll get into that later, but yeah, this is... They dig foundations, 
and they pour the foundation first. And then I noticed, again, being the sly and, and wise person that I am, I noticed that they build the house upward from the foundation. And I noticed that the shape of the house is determined, in fact, by the shape of the foundation. In other words, the foundational, I mean, the foundation in building a house is foundational. It's the key. And I had understood for years that worldviews are similar to that. And what I mean by that is this. In every system of thought, whatever it is, there is some foundational commitment that lies at the bottom of that system of thought and that actually determines the shape of the structure that is built upon it. I mean, for instance, scientific materialism. Okay, if you accept as your presupposition, if you accept as your foundational belief that nothing exists but material in this universe, then obviously the house you build upward, up, upward from that is going to reflect that. It's going to be a materialist house. Um, let's take Islam. If you accept as your foundation that the angel Gabriel came from heaven and dictated the Quran to Muhammad word for word for word, then, well, if you believe that, if that's your foundational belief, then the structure you build from that is going to reflect that and you're going to be a Muslim unless you're, you know, unless you're just rejecting what you believe to be true. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing for Catholicism. It's the same thing for Protestantism. And the reason the discussion between the two is so confusing and so exhausting is that the two really are operating with different foundational commitments. Yeah, and again, Ken, uh, this is something that is an issue not only between Catholicism and Protestantism, but you'll find mm -hmm. this the case between, well, like someone from your Reformed tradition and someone who was from a Wesleyan-Arminian tradition. Even though their foundations yeah. are a lot more similar than the foundational differences between Catholicism and Protestantism in general, you still are working with two different kind of shaped foundations, and you end up talking past one another more often than not, because you each sort of bring this understanding of what the baseline thing is, what the main thing is, and, and that shapes everything mm -hmm. else. You read everything else through that lens, right? You build the glasses, and then you, you see the everything through them. Glasses. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or the amber, and you're seeing, yeah, without realizing it. Okay, so I was a Protestant, though, and so at least ostensibly, mm -hmm. my worldview was based on something that we call Sola Scriptura. The foundation of my worldview was Sola Scriptura. And so I want to elaborate on that for a couple of minutes, all right? What is Sola Scriptura? What does Sola Scriptura teach? What does it believe? And to elaborate this, I don't want to use a Catholic author or my own brain now as a Catholic, but I want to refer to Protestant scholars. And so um, I'm taking what I'm describing here from a book called Roman Catholics and Evangelicals, Agreements and Disagreements, written by two well-respected Protestant scholars, Norman Geisler and Ralph McKenzie. So let me begin. I've got a few quotations, and let me kind of just run this through. They begin, uh, by sola scriptura, I'm quoting now, Orthodox Protestants mean that scripture alone is the primary and absolute source of authority, the final court of appeal for all doctrine and practice. Okay, in other words, this is the beginning, this is the key for a definition. Within the Protestant system of thought, the answer to the foundational question of authority is the Bible alone. Okay, now this is the key. But there's more entailed by Sola Scriptura, and McKenzie and Geisler understand this, and they go on to say a few more things. And this is important, so I hope those listening will listen carefully. We'll try to summarize it afterward. Quoting again, 
A good bit of confusion exists between Catholics and Protestants due to a failure to distinguish two aspects of the doctrine of Sola Scriptura, the formal and the material. Sola Scriptura in the material sense simply means that all the content of salvific revelation exists in Scripture. Many Catholics hold this in common with Protestants, including well-known theologians John Henry Newman, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. What Protestants affirm, however, and Catholics reject, is sola scriptura in the formal sense, that the Bible alone is sufficiently clear that no infallible teaching magisterium of the Church is necessary to interpret it. Okay, so three points just quickly restated. According to Geisler and Mackenzie, Protestant scholars, Sola Scriptura contains three basic assertions. One is that Scripture is our sole infallible rule of faith and practice. Two, it's materially sufficient. Everything we need to know from God is there, either explicitly or implicitly. But, and here's the key, it's formally sufficient, meaning everything is there and it's set forth clearly enough that Christians can go there and read it and understand it. No authoritative teaching authority on earth is needed to settle disputes between Christians, um, to interpret it and tell us what it means. And so the Christian, the Protestant, in other words, does not need for there to exist on earth some authoritative interpreter. Yeah, and again, and, this, is, this is something Protestants who disagree yes. with each other will still make that appeal that you just put out there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they would say, so there's this technical theological term for what it means that the scripture is sufficiently clear that you don't need someone to help you. It, you know, the perspicacity or, right. or, or, or perspicacious nature of scripture, meaning that don't trust me, man, just read what it says on the page, right? And the, what's, what's crazy to me, and this is where, you know, I got into despairing relativist mode, was where I'd run into well, I'm praying to the Holy Spirit. This guy's praying to the Holy Spirit. It's clear as the nose on my face what Scripture says. Why isn't it clear to this other guy? Maybe he's not praying hard enough. Maybe there's some sin in his life that's blocking him from understanding the clear, yeah. on-its-face yeah. meaning of Scripture. I mean, you see how, yeah, how, how muddy it can become if that's your well, determining factor. The important point in what you're saying there is that Bible verses don't jump up and, and explain in one verse an entire doctrine. So when it comes to doctrines, you end up putting together many, many, many different passages. Each of those passages have to be interpreted in their context, and then they have to be compiled to try and set forth a doctrine or what you think is actually being taught. And so that's not so easy as saying, well, you just read it. There it is. But the, the um, guys from McKinsey, they summarize their position with this, this um, sentence, which I think is very powerful. Here's how they summarize it. Here's Sola Scriptura. The Bible Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else is all that is necessary for faith and practice. And by that, they, they would not think to themselves, you also don't need us, right? Even though yeah. they're teaching you how to <laughs> apply this principle. I, yeah. I do want to, uh, though, Ken, insert, sure. somebody might say, well, why would they believe that? Scripture doesn't say the Bible, the Lord's Bible alone are not, mm -hmm. on, not only not in Scripture, I mean— it wouldn't be possible because these things are written at different times, and when Paul's writing his letters, there is no such thing as the New Testament yet. Uh, a lot of people will parade out the verse, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, uh, which I'll read the KJV, just in case you're running into a KJV-only yeah. person, King James Version only. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness to, as you mentioned just a minute ago, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Every Catholic believes this is true, right? Every yeah. Catholic believes that Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, that the man of God can yeah. grow in every way possible yeah. up to perfection. Yeah. It's just what they mean by that is something very different than what we Catholics mean by that. Yeah, and I'm not sure whether to try and go into it now. I'm afraid it would take me into the weeds. Oh, this is like um, a two-hour conversation, but— Yeah, we will hit that soon, because we're, we're going to go into, is Sola Scriptura scriptural in an upcoming episode, maybe even next week, okay? So let me to, let's just leave that as a teaser then, you know, the, the Second Corinthians. It's a good tease. That's I mean, an epic tease, Timothy 3 passage. Yeah. Okay, so let me talk now about worldviews and collision. Because this is what I see now, or this is what I began to see and understand. As I began to look into Catholicism, it didn't take long for me to realize that it was at this level, Matt, it was at this level of presupposition, at this level of foundational commitment, that the disagreement really is found between Catholicism and Protestantism. And this is where it has to be understood at this level. And this is where, in the end, it has to be adjudicated. This is how the decision has to be made. Because although I was interested in everything that had to do with Catholic versus Protestant, I wanted to study all the different issues. I wanted to study the Marian doctrines and the papacy and purgatory and salvation, not by just not justification by faith alone, and the nature of the church, ecclesiology, everything. I wanted to study everything. But it was becoming clear to me that most important of all was for me to study this issue of sola scriptura and the Catholic um, alternative because I could see that this was the key. This was really the, the key to understanding everything else. And so this is where I needed to go. In fact, my wife said that early on. I was like talking to her and standing in the kitchen talking about Mary or something one time. And she said, the only thing that, that matters is the, is the question of whether the Catholic Church has the authority that it claims to have. She says, if the Church speaks with authority as it claims, then we're going to be Catholics. Yeah. And so you don't even need to talk about Mary right now. We need to talk about the issue of authority. And, and that's true, Matt. It, it kind of boils down to this, and this may seem blunt to put it this way, but if Sola Scriptura is true, Protestantism is true, period. And you and I, if we decide that, that Sola Scriptura is true, I mean, you and I may spend the rest of our lives fighting it out to try and figure out whether the Baptists are closer to the, what the Bible teaches than the Presbyterians or the Methodists or the Nazarenes or the Seventh-day Adventists or whatever, we may spend the rest of our lives, and we probably will spend the rest of our lives. I mean, in fact, maybe it's none of those denominations. Maybe it's Maybe the, it's something that I need maybe, to invent, right? Yes, maybe it's something that Matt needs to invent or, or, or this charismatic new preacher down the road who's saying something a little bit different than what has been said before. Okay, we may spend the rest of our lives trying to figure that out, but the bottom line is we will be Protestants. Of some stripe. And of course. Yes. Yeah, of some stripe. And of course, then the reverse is also true. If our Lord did not intend for Scripture to function, as the Protestant says, as the sole and sufficient infallible rule of faith and practice, if Jesus would not agree that Scripture alone is materially sufficient and formally sufficient, clear enough that all you need, all Matt needs is a Bible, all I need is a Bible, we can read it, we can figure it out, we can decide for ourselves— if that is not what our Lord intended, then guess what? Protestantism is not 
true. It doesn't necessarily mean that Catholicism is true, but it means that the 15th, 17th version of Protestantism and all of its descendants are on shaky, shaky ground. It it means that all the iterations of Protestantism based on Sola Scriptura kind of fall apart all at once. And so this is the foundational issue. I mean, this is the key issue that needs to be addressed. In fact, I'm, I'm, even as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking we're going to have to go more deeply into this because, uh, you know, not only did I realize this was the key issue, but I think almost everyone who comes on that journey toward the Catholic Church begins to realize at some point. I mean, didn't you tell me, you addressed it from another angle, but didn't you say to me that you almost felt like it was either something like Catholicism or Or it's all horse manure. It's all horse manure, right? I mean, that's because yeah. that's essentially what you have to come to uh, with this is you either— uh, once once you get into that position, and, and, and I know that you had your own kind of sensations about this, it's either one person has the truth about the correct interpretation of the Scripture, or none of them have it, and maybe the fact that nobody has it is proof that this is an impossible scenario, and it's a bad thought experiment that <laughs> has lasted for 2,000 years for some inexplicable reason. Right, because that's what you're stuck yeah. with, uh, very, very often. Or I've got to invent something new myself. Uh, but again, how is it? Think about the ego involved to say two thousand years of Christianity, and God chose to reveal it to me and nobody else. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's 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 kind of what you're stuck with. And if you have any lingering self doubt, you think to yourself, well, maybe, maybe it's just not true. So I mean, there's there's yeah. the the rabbit hole you go down with sola scriptura. It, Again, if you don't think of the possibility of some other kind of authoritative system of thought for understanding what God wants to tell his people, yeah. then then your, your temptation is to relativism or despair or absolutism of some sort of really individualistic, idiosyncratic variety. As I began to think these things, Matt, here's a thought that came—I mean, here's a, a little line of thought that came to mind to me. If you look back at the reformers, Luther and Calvin and the others at the time, the Anabaptist reformers, they were all very serious about doctrine. They believed that they were right, and they were willing to go to war with each other over it, you know? But then think of how that's—think of what has transpired when 100 years, 2, 3, 4, 500 years, and denominations multiply and multiply, there's splits and fracturing. The more denominations—and now we find ourselves in 20th, uh, 21st century America— and many, many Protestant denominations um, have basically, I think that that skepticism have, has, has seeped in to where they are basically non-doctrinal uh, now, you know, and, and you get this. They, well, they would at least Jesus. say that they are, right? Yeah, oh, it, it's, it's me the, and Jesus this, We get this and term non-denominationalism, which is an absurd yeah. word on its face, right? But I do think that you begin to feel, may, maybe a Protestants, many begin to feel in their heart of hearts, like, look, I know there are geniuses in all of these denominations. There are biblical scholars that are way better than me, and they're holier than I am, and they pray more than I do, and they study more than I do. And if they can't agree, maybe none of the doctrines even matter. Maybe no one knows. And so maybe we should just go with a kind of a gut level, me and, Je- me and Jesus. And I, I think this explains why evangelicalism is kind of dissolving now. But anyway, that's another subject. Let me, let me kind of tie this together in my own life. Um, back in 1994, you probably heard about the Northridge earthquake of January 17th, 1994. Even though 
I just realized you are on the absolute East Coast and I'm on the absolute West Coast doing California this. news is like moon news to us. We're like, well, okay. that's interesting. What's happening? on? Okay, the well, moon. listen, I grew up in California. So I grew up with earthquakes and I'm like a typical young guy. I'm not a typical young guy now, but I was a typical young guy and I loved earthquakes. And whenever an earthquake would start, I'd always be kind of secretly thinking, whoa, you know, I hope this one is really good. And then I'm kind of secretly bummed out when it just fizzles. You, you didn't know? like stand on the well, couch and try and surf it out, did you? Uh, no, I didn't. I mean, it never it never got to that level. They always faded away. You know, they, they always just fade away. Well, anyway, on January 17th, I'm laying in bed. It's 431 in the morning. And I'm telling you, my eyes popped open. I looked up at the ceiling and I heard what sounded to me, Matt, like a freight train coming toward my house. And I mean coming close, like 10 feet away, five feet away, two feet away. I mean, it was really loud. It was unlike any, it, it was a quantum jump from anything I'd ever experienced. I remember I jumped up out of bed and I took two steps toward the hallway and it hit. And when it hit, I mean, my house, it sounded to me like my house was jumping up and down off the ground with this huge crashing sound every time. I leaned forward and I was kind of falling down my hallway and I was hitting the right wall, hitting the left wall, bouncing back and forth. And I kept saying to myself, one of us is going to die and watch your knees because the floor is tearing open. That, that's how it sounded to me. That's how it felt. And it didn't happen. The floor didn't tear open and we all survived and everything. But, but, but it was an extraordinary lesson of what it feels like when the earth is moving beneath you. And it's extraordinary. And it's because the earth is our foundation. I mean, that's what you stand on. Everything else can move around, but, but when the world moves underneath you, you feel a, a, a squeamishness that is very much unique. And, and I apply this to my own story, Matt, because I would say that, that, I, that my conversion to the Catholic faith began the moment I began to feel and realize that the foundation of Sola Scriptura that I had been standing on for more than 20 years was beginning to wobble mm -hmm. when I was beginning to realize that it might not be true. That's when my conversion began. And the questions then that were starting to come at me were just so powerful. They were questions like this, is Sola Scriptura even scriptural? I mean, this is something I'd never even thought about. And this is what we were just I touching mean, on just a moment ago. Uh, I mean, this is going to be its whole own segment by yeah. the end of the day, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's like you walk around and breathe. You never stop and ask yourself, but does oxygen really exist? You know, I, you know, the Sola Scriptura was the assumption. It was the atmosphere in which I lived my entire Christian life. And suddenly I'm asking, is Sola Scriptura scriptural? I, is it really taught in the Bible? Is Sola Scriptura historical? Did the church of the second century and third and fourth and fifth, did they hold to these views that uh, Geisler and McKenzie outlined for us? Is scriptural, I mean, is Sola Scriptura even workable? You know, we, we've talked a little bit about the number of denominations and about how it kind of leads to skepticism. So much more to be said about that. And then one more question, is Sola Scriptura even logical? Does it make sense? Now, these are questions that in my experience, my evangelical friends, I mean, they, they, these are questions that have never even entered their minds, most of them. Well, these questions entered my minds, my, my mind. There's only one in there. I'm I hope not so. Legion. I'm not Legion. Which kin, <laughs> and, which kin am I talking to now? You know what? This is going to outline our conversation going forward, because you and I are going to have to do episodes on, is it scriptural? Is it historical? Does it work? Is it logical? There's so many things to cover. But 
That's how the ground began to move under me, and this was really the beginning of my conversion to the Catholic faith. Well, you know, Ken, somebody might have tuned in about 15 minutes ago and said, what are these two atheists talking about? Because, <laughs> you know, it seems like we've left this in a place of real darkness, and of course we're going to pick this up and talk a little bit about how we kind of, you know, discerned our way out of this and, and what mm-hmm. questions it, it led to beyond that. But foundationally, as you're saying, if it's it's like the fish who doesn't realize that what they're in is water, and one day they realize, oh, I'm in the water, right, as the analogy goes. Uh, and again, this is this is going to be a much deeper subject and more than anything else, the whole purpose of this is just to let people know what questions we were asking. There are not a whole lot of answers mm-hmm. in this particular program, um, so I know that people are going to be freaking out in the comments saying, but you never addressed this, you never addressed that. Well, don't worry. Because, Matt, what I think is often people get pat questions and pat answers too quickly, and um, what I'm hoping with our show is to help people think, um, Catholics, converts, and also Protestants who maybe haven't thought about these or are thinking about about them. And so I'd rather go a little bit more in depth, even if we don't answer everything we raise. Yeah, and not just that, but people who are like me who started to ask these questions, and the first thing that they thought is, well, maybe God's not real, you know, and to, to let them know that maybe there's a different way to think about these things. So uh, if that's you or if you're any of those kinds of people that Ken and I described or some other person that we have not described yet, uh, please weigh in in the comments. Please uh, hit us with a note at chnetwork.org. Please check out Ken's articles on this topic. He's got one called Slip Sliding Away that um, that kind of deals with how these questions sort of bubbled up in in his own life. Again, subscribe if you want to catch more episodes of On the Journey. Ken, there's never enough time. I will. I'll see you in a couple days. Have a good weekend. All right, you too, man. Mm-hmm.